Hi, I'm Cameron Johnston. And I'm Anamika Wade. And, and this, this is, is Walk Left, Left the Podcast. And I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. So, we're going to talk a bit about your friend show, uh, St. Francis Talks to the Birds. But before we get to that, I would like to hear a bit more about uh, your production company, Royal Porcupine Productions. Essentially, Royal Porcupine Productions was begun by Tanya Wrigley and Adam Bailey back in our formative years of university. That's uh, right. We all went to school together. We did the uh, U of T joint program with Sheridan College, and we all met back there in the 90s. <laughs> and they produced a production of a show called Hopscotch with Michael Bradley, and that was sort of the beginning of the company in that they used the name for the very first time. The actual sort of company as it stands now is a number of years later we had our second production and Mika and I uh, got involved with Adam and uh, Tanya and a couple of other people back in the day and we... that was 2006 and we did Taming of the Shrew and we did that over at the Dance Makers Studio for Creation I think that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was fun, and that was uh, that was when I actually moved to Toronto. I'm from St. Albans, Vermont, a little border town in northern Vermont. Uh, so I came here in 2006, and we decided we'd make a real go of the company together. Tanya, Cam, myself, Adam, sort of have always been the main core members, and then Adam met his now husband Jonathan Brett, who is also one of our core members. And uh, yeah, now we've we've gone through a couple of uh, a couple of different uh, core members. Uh, we had a Tony Culverwell with us for a while. Uh, Rachel Liley, Megan Liley, her sister, actually was also one of the the first. And uh, now Gavin McGrath sits and works with us. So yeah, we started with Taming of the Shrew at Dance Makers and went on to produce a number of shows. Some of the notable ones that we've done were Shadow of a Boy, which was at the lot, and uh, Jeremy LaPalm was in it. Mm-hmm. And he received some critical acclaim for that production and his performance specifically. We had a show called Unwrap Your Candy, which we produced in four separate bars, uh, sort of across the city. Uh, three. Three. Three separate Three separate bars. bars across the city. Two of them don't exist anymore, I think. <laughs> Rearview Mirror was one of them. Rearview Mirror? Rearview Mirror in Kensington Market. In Kensington Market. Market. And uh, the other one on the East End was Blue Moon, Cafe, Blue Moon Cafe. And then Clinton's over on the West End. So we did an inner city tour. We brought the shows to the audience so uh, they could go out in their respective neighborhoods and come and see us instead of having to go to one place in North York or wherever there is no space in this city. That show has one of my all-time favorite sort of theater moments. Yeah. (laughs) Where the beginning of the show, cast members were all seated in the audience and Eric Minch, one of the actors, the very first line of the show is, ladies and gentlemen, please turn off your cell phones. And then the next line is, of course, oh, I should do that. And he turned to one of the other audience members. Oh, and this woman began having a full-on oh, conversation with him as he struggled to get through <laughs> all of the big monologue at the top of the show, which was very, oh, I should turn off my cell phone. I'm a doctor. And about halfway through, she realized, that's the actor. What have I been doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone has been listening to me have this conversation. Because, of course, it was then he brilliant. got up on stage. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really a beautiful moment in theater where she just had this, like, the play has begun and, gone, and I have now become part of it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a production of Terrorism at the Alchemy Theater, 
number of years ago as well. Another site that doesn't exist anymore. Another site that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, just batting a thousand with that. <laughs> I expect the Helen Gardner will be closed in a year. Yeah. <laughs> All you people next year at Fringe, don't count on Helen Gardner Valen as being one of your venues. Uh, yeah, that show was good as well. We got a nice four-star review in yeah. iMagazine. And Damn. back when iMagazine existed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so other than shutting down organizations, <laughs> is there is there a, a, any other unifying sort of principle for Royal Porcupine and, and the work you do? Well, I think we like to say producing prickly plays. We have a penchant for dark comedies. We like to we like to do these things like you know sort of submerge our audience in in an experience, and then all of a sudden realize they're in theater, and uh, we really like. Cam mentions terrorism. Uh, what Cam is too modest to say is that he and Tanya Wrigley did a completely nude scene together. So it was a series of six vignettes. <laughs> and, uh, about yeah, <laughs> modest about talking about his nakedness. Yeah. So, so we sort of have this, uh, assault on the, the, the audience that we really enjoy doing. So let's, let's go to your next misdemeanor then. Yeah. Uh, let's, ta- <laughs> let's talk about the next assault on the audience. Right. Uh, St. Francis talks to the birds. Yeah, St. Francis Talks to the Birds by, by David, David Ives. He had recently had some success with Venus and Fur That's on going... Broadway, which yep. will be part of the Canadian stage season next year. Right, so you're going to start um, hearing a lot about David Ives, I think, in, in this community of theater over the next year. And yeah, we're doing like a, a 35-40 minute show. Nice and short, very funny, little dark, totally dark. Yeah, um, we can... A little meet. bit about death. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of just as it sounds in the title, St. Francis Talks to the Birds. Tanya Wrigley and I will both be playing Vultures, and Mika will be playing St. Francis. Francis. Beard, potbelly, and all. And uh, <laughs> yeah, very, very much looking forward to it. My One of my biggest challenges is I don't move for 40 of the 45 minutes of the play, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> the, these birds have met up or have found St. Francis in the desert. The scene opens. Uh, the birds are eating the innards of St. Francis. And uh, then hilarity ensues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was it about this show that, that grabbed your attention as a company to do it for the Fringe? Or like sort of which came first? Did you guys just go, hey, we were in the Fringe and let's pick a play? Or was it like, this? we want this to be our next show and... Essentially, we entered the lottery and, yes, then got the slot in the fringe and realized that we sort of needed a play and proceeded to read a whole bunch of shows. And this one, sort of, Adam, who is the sort of the driving artistic producer, I guess, found the script and, and brought it to all of us. But he said that it really leapt off, off the page for him in its sort of quirkiness and dark sort of comedy stylings. It, it deals with questions about God, obviously, and, and religion and the afterlife, and does it in a really sort of quirky way, which fits in with the overall RPP theme. You know, a lot of the shows that we we have tackled tend to deal with big questions, in, as I guess any really good show would, but deals with big questions in an offbeat kind of We did way. a, yeah, we did a version of Carol Churchill's Vinegar Tom that allows you the ability to it's a musical but you write the music so carol churchill has written the words and then you just go with it you know whatever you're going to do with the with the music so we did a version of that and that was also this this idea of 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 
taking something that may seem a little traditional and making it completely non-traditional. We used a very dissident sound and it was very uh, Philip Glass-esque, I guess. Philip Glass-esque. <laughs> Making up some words here. Um, and so this show specifically, we we actually haven't produced in about a year. So getting into the fringe was sort of the impetus to produce something. We like to say that the big production last year was Adam and Jonathan's wedding, because yeah. uh, that we were all involved, <laughs> and then, so that took a lot of our time um, and resources. And resources. <laughs> you know, we're a small company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cash flow is a problem for all oh. independent theaters. Sure. But uh, that's been a success, so you know we feel well, so, yeah, so far so they're far, still so together. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, but the yeah. venue where the ceremony took place is closed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just yeah. decimate, burn to the ground. <laughs> the Holiday Inn in uh, Billville is no more. <laughs> uh, so yeah, getting into the fringe was sort of the impetus to to get us back together and talking. We had always intended on on getting back and producing again, but when was always the question, and what would be the right piece at at what time? And it's amazing that you know the Fringe Festival is a. <laughs> a thing that does that? <laughs> well, actually, you know, something that is interesting is I think Adam has applied for the Fringe maybe eight years in a row, and we have never, ever gotten a lottery slot before now. So we're all, I mean, Adam not so much. He did the very successful Enchanted Crack House last year as one of the alley plays, but Cam and I are both Fringe virgins. Tanya, I'm not sure, has she done a Fringe show before? Maybe uh, years know. ago? But uh, yeah, so this is the this is Let the first for the us. <laughs> yeah, so it's really exciting. We're really looking forward to it. It's it's going to be something new for us and uh, a new way to think about producing. You know, it's 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 nice having the space given to us. It's nice having to work within the constraints of the fringe. Uh, really having to think about what the set is going to be and and paring it down to something that can be stored in the small four by four space or three by three space, and uh, something that is uh, still going to give the impression that we you know did some work on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, how how on a on a reasonable budget do you get yeah. a show that looks professional, right? Which I'm sure is a question. Uh, something that all fringe shows struggle with. Uh, how do you have it transport in and out in a quick, efficient fashion? All those questions, which are things that we we did deal with, certainly with Unwrap Your Candy, but mm -hmm. yeah, should be interesting. It's great, because the other thing that Fringe sort of adds to it is, you know, the budgeting side of things. So you know you're going to have this many seats, and you know you're never going to make more than... $10 a seat and uh, however much of that goes to the administration of, I mean, well, not the administration of the fringe, but thinking as an independent company, okay, so we're in the Helen Gardner Phelan and we have 120 seats, seven shows, right? Is that it? Seven shows? So 120 seats, seven shows. If you max that out, you're only going to make X number of dollars. Haven't done the math, so I couldn't tell you that right now. Uh, but yeah, you, it, it has really make us, made us think about, you know, what is our ultimate budget, really? How far are we willing to go to spend on things and still make sure that the artists are getting a portion of that? We've always been good about paying our actors, but not nearly as much as they deserve. And hopefully this kind of experience at the Fringe will give us the opportunity to be a little more generous in that regard and respect. And as many independent theater companies go, you know, one of the 
the real measures of success, in my opinion, is, is when you can really pay your artists. And I guess that was also part of the decision-making process for when we were selecting a show is right. what, which show can we do that is going to sort of pop with um, a bold advertising image and, and something that will look really unique and be kind of quirky, fringy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like it was too calculated, but we certainly did. That was part of it. We said, uh, you know, at the very least, this one's got bird costumes. Mm -hmm. so we're going to have people dressed as birds. That's a little more unique than just a picture of a guy swinging a light bulb, mm -hmm. looking sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and then you have to think again, you know, we, we talk about the constraints and uh, we only have a half hour in the dressing rooms before the show. Uh, the show is only 45 minutes. And, uh, They've got to put on bird beaks and bird makeup and it's, it, I've got to put on a beard and a, a belly and, uh, what starts out is, you know, like, oh, these things would be very easy if we had more than a half hour call, start becoming a little more involved and, and intricate. And we really need to think about efficiency, but still making the product look the way we envisioned it when we decided to take on St. Francis. So as a company, it sounds like you all really take a hand in the production side of things as well. And it's a really sort of integrated that side. And you guys are essentially making work for yourselves, but also wearing a lot of hats in the background. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, as a company, you know, we've all sort of managed to be there assisting each other in the production of all of our shows. They haven't always involved us and, you know, personally as the people on stage but a lot of them have as well uh, we sort of try and work you know Rico was the lead and so we wrap up the, the nudie scene in terrorism he directed unwrap your candy along with uh tanya wrigley so uh, we did sort of some team directing there but and you know i produced that one and adam took more of a step back but we all bring so many talents to the table that it's it's easy for us to kind of switch all right what do you feel like doing this time well this time i'd really like to act great okay then Adam will take on more of a production side, or Jonathan actually does a lot of our production work. Jonathan is a visual artist by nature, so uh, he's sort of uh, the perfect person to be a production manager and say, you know, we're thinking about this set, these are the things that we need, how do we do it? And uh, working in three dimensions as he does, he's been perfect at that kind of thing. Yeah, and conveniently runs the Rosewell Theater, and we can... Rosewell uh, Studio. Uh, Rosewell yeah. Studio, rather, and do a fundraiser there and then blah, blah, we can work with other visual artists to you know sell some of their pieces bring their you know their work to the public and then in turn use them to help us with the design of some of the set pieces and things like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which has worked out really well for this show in particular uh, our friend mark showman is designing the rock that mika has to sit on for the port the, the restoration of the show yeah <laughs> essentially yeah. And, you know, one of the big discussions, how do we make it comfortable for her to right. sit on a rock for 40 minutes and, <laughs> yeah. and still have it look good? And so luckily, he's sort of a sculptor. And, and a carpenter. And a carpenter. We so, haven't seen it yet. We so haven't it seen it yet, but, garbage, uh, but, <laughs> but it's good. Though, it... <laughs> <laughs> um, That's optimism for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better not look like garbage, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday is the big day. We're going to see the rock finally. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, we do all take on for all of the productions uh, a number of different hats, just sort of out of necessity. 
a lot we had day jobs so it has to be a team effort sort of just getting everything done mm-hmm. and we do have a lot of evenings where we sit over a pint and end up arguing with each other till late at night in the bar <laughs> over stuff like that but at the end of the day it always works out well and gets done yeah we are all very good friends i would say we are you know ridiculous mishmash family type people but uh <laughs> no matter how much we scream and yell at each other the end of the day it's all hugs and kisses and oh you're the best (laughs) (laughs) i didn't mean to yell (laughs) the passion of theater yeah yeah. it's great we're all very passionate (laughs) so then in terms of your rehearsal process how has that been going uh really well yeah, we're already off book. Not uh, well, but we're good. off book. We know our lines. <laughs> yeah, trust us. That's all theater is, um, right? That's right. That's, that's what David Mamet says. You just go just on stage and lines. say the lines. That's our plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it, it's funny because it, it is unrealistic. We have two humans playing vultures, and they have to really think about the physicality of what they're doing. I have no physicality pretty much at all because I am dead on a rock for most of the the show. But these guys are really, you know, like really thinking about what it is to be a bird, how you move differently as a human, trying to use your arms as wings rather than hands. Just so much to think about. So different. Uh, so there's been a lot of the process of, and a little bit of frustration, just like trying to find that. Well, we certainly, part of the reason we are off, you know, not to brag, but we're off book a month before the show, was because the physicality is so important for, you know, playing birds. So we needed to be able to work with our hands free and and begin working on the physicality of the specifics about when are we flapping our wings and why are we flapping our wings? And it's the same sort of question you would ask yourself as an actor for any role, but it just sounds so much more ridiculous when you talk about it being wings. Mm-hmm. Um, or a bird head. <laughs> you know, you have to think about things like, well, I'm a predatory bird. I need to move my head as if I'm listening for food. <laughs> so that's what it's like, I guess. And we've um, also decided to do accents. There's a big spoiler, spoiler warning alert. Well, the, the uh, script itself, they are, they're written in. It's almost impossible to go through the script without the sort of these characters developing with mm-hmm. an accent. They fit so well. And to try and not do an accent, you'd have to adjust some of the lines in the, in the script itself because it would come off you'd as... You'd lose a lot of the comedy. Too. Yeah, you would so. lose a lot of the comedy as well. So, so yeah, we're, we're trying that. Yeah, but all different accents. So, you know, we'll, you'll see. You'll hear. <laughs> they're, all, they're all over the, all map, all over sure. the place. <laughs> What we like to call the Adam Bailey School of Accents. <laughs> um, Adam's not so good at accents. <laughs> but the the process has been fairly standard, I guess. We did a couple of days of table work mm-hmm. where we did break down each of the lines and, and motivations Beats. behind them. And while it is a story about St. Francis talking to birds, there's more to it than that. Obviously, mm-hmm. the characters of the birds are... Have a relationship. Analogous and, you know, to humans. Yeah. And, and so a, a specific relationship that they've got. And how can we tell that in a relatable way to a human audience, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just mm-hmm. about being a bird eating food. Uh, it is about my relationship with the other bird, who is Tanya. And, and in the table work, we sort of 
had to make some decisions like what is the relationship between the two of them it feels like they are obviously a couple and the overarching sort of concept that we decided on is that it is their second honeymoon and they've gone out and they're having an unpleasant time on their second honeymoon mm -hmm. so there's a real tension right off the top as the two birds are you know an old married couple bickering at each other and any, anyone who knows Mika and I probably wonder why it wasn't us but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she wanted to play the man so. that's right that's right <laughs> yeah tell me how that's been especially I mean I'm also curious about the the lack of the lack of movement that you're doing but well, tell me about taking on not only I guess not only just a dude but I mean St. Francis who's somebody with whom you know even non-Christians are familiar as sort of the archetype. Well, it's it's fantastic, actually. When I was a kid, my dad and he, uh, we are not Catholics. I did not grow up Catholic. We are Protestant people. And uh, I remember my dad teaching me, I guess, about the saints. For some reason, he was that kind of a person, very educated gentleman. But the only one I ever remember is him saying, St. Francis. Do you know who St. Francis is? No, I don't. Well, St. Francis really really loved animals. <laughs> so when Adam brought this script and he said, uh, I'm thinking about you for St. Francis, I was like, of course, I would love to play St. Francis. He really, really loves animals. And it, Adam didn't really understand what I was saying, but I thought it was fantastic and I was very excited. But as I read the script, I realized that I got to play for sort of the first time ever a completely guileless creature, like someone with, with no thoughts of of evil or you know just everything is so pure and there are no bad intentions these animals that he speaks with are always just like the purest of pure because in a way is that not sort of a question like is there do animals have conscience and if they do you know do they have the same sort of um, reactions that humans would the same sort of um, feelings or you know do they feel remorse is there especially when you're de dealing with carrion eaters like what is what's that like it wouldn't there be some judgment these 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 creatures prey on the dead but no no judgment at all and that's really really fun so i've never i've never had the opportunity to play someone so pure and innocent and every single line is discovery every single line is something new and oh i'd never thought of that before and how wonderful <laughs> you know and, and i'm i'm having a great time with that i'm having a really fun time just being without guile guileless you know, i can't think of any better word for it um yeah yeah so it's fun it's completely against type first time i'm not playing a whore or a lesbian usually i'm the witch the whore or the lesbian <laughs> trifecta yeah exactly <laughs> somebody needs to write a play where it's one character that is all three of those all three of them um, Wiccan, lesbian, Jewish, Wiccan, wedding? That... <laughs> <laughs> Remap! <Yeah>. Uh... <laughs> we've got a fundraiser coming up at the Rosewill Studios. So we were mentioning earlier that we've had a lot of help with, um, outside just the theater community. Um, we have a lot of artists who have been incredibly supportive. And one of the things that's happening is on, uh, June 22nd at the Rosewill Studios, uh, we're going to be having a fundraiser, beer, and, art and uh entertainment entertainment there are some acts lined up we mm -hmm. don't, wanna, don't know 
uh, exactly what they are at this moment. Well, I think it's a variety, too. I think yeah. we've got some comedy. I think we've got some, like, musicians, some clown, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Rosewell Studio, come out. It's not expensive. I think it's $10 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be lots of fun. Cam, yeah, Mika, thank you so much. Royal Porcupine Productions, St. Francis Talks of the Birds, part of the 2013 Toronto Fringe Festival. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.